We, uh, as a church family, uh, believe that the Bible is the very Word of God, and so to hear what God says in His Scripture is to hear God speak. So that's our prayer this morning, is that each of us would hear from Him. We have been working our way methodically, paragraph by paragraph, through this great book called The Gospel of John. John is one of four biographies of the life of Jesus in the New Testament. And so we're learning each week together about uh, who Jesus is, what he did, what he's doing now, what it means to have a faith in him. And today we come to what for many will be a passage you have heard before, even if uh, church is not somewhere you frequent. This is a familiar text uh, to many, perhaps one of the most familiar in the Bible that describes Jesus as the shepherd and his people as sheep. Now, just to get this out of the way, several told me I look like a candy cane. Does everybody want to laugh? Get that done. And now quit imagining me as a candy cane. Good? One adult, I use this loosely, adult man told me all he would think about is licking my face. Which really kind of made me vomit in my mouth. His name was Mike. (laughs) So we're in John 10. Uh, So provocative and wonderful are many of the spiritual realities in the Bible that there's really no way to easily directly talk about them. You can't just put them as propositional truths. Here's who Jesus is and what he did. Because that might not grab you emotionally the way these ideas ought to. And so that's the reason why many times the Bible will use uh, analogies or metaphors or examples in order to help us get a sense really of who Jesus is. The Gospel of John is full of these. Think about images such as light and darkness, or vine and branches, living water, bread of life. These are all provocative metaphors meant to grab us, not just intellectually, but down at the level of the heart, now where we feel. Today we come to another great image of Jesus. We'll hit the tremendous, priceless truth this morning that Jesus, God Himself, the the baby we're remembering today, is a good shepherd. He's a true shepherd. He's genuine. You can count on Him. He is the one who lays down His life for His sheep. Brothers and sisters, what that means is that Jesus is our provider. Jesus is our protector. Jesus is our life giver. Jesus is our life sustainer. All of that is wrapped up in this one simple analogy. I am the shepherd and you are the sheep. We'll read the passage in just a moment, but let me point out very quickly a few things for you to listen for as we walk through this passage. 
One, you're going to hear the text say that God's people or God's sheep hear His voice. Now that doesn't mean we, we audibly hear the voice of God. Maybe you have. I haven't. But anyone who opens the Scripture and intently listens and God speaks and something inside of you that is holier and wiser and calmer and more peace-giving than any voice of your own, that is indeed the voice of God. Jesus will tell us that He is the one who speaks in such a way that His people listen. It's a great picture. He's also going to say that He calls His sheep by name. Do you think for a moment about that? That the God who made everything, the God who sustains all things this morning, if you're a Christian, not only does He know you, not only are you welcome before Him, before you ever desired Him, while you were in opposition to Him, He was gently, lovingly saying your name, calling you by name. How many of us work for corporations where the one tier above us, the people we work for, have no idea what our names are? But the Creator, He knows. He calls your name. And He provides for our every need at tremendous personal cost to Himself. So as Jenny Samsel comes to read for us from John 10, I would uh, invite you to listen for these images and more as we read John 10, 1 through 21. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Awesome. Thank you. The central image in this passage is that Jesus is the good shepherd. The baby we remember this morning and we celebrate at Christmas didn't stay a baby. He grew up to be a man, a man who lived the life that every human being is called to live, who then died a sacrificial death in our place. This is an incredibly tender and warm image, Jesus as the good shepherd. There's a famous uh, fresco in the catacombs in Rome that depicts this passage. Here's a picture of it. They look more like foxes than sheep to me, but they are sheep, and in the middle is Jesus, and Jesus is holding a sheep, taking care of it. The catacombs were where Christians when Rome began persecuting them, they literally dug large rooms underground so that they could continue to gather and worship. And many of these have been discovered today. Jill and I were able to walk through one once. And lined in the tiny halls are uh, caskets where people were buried and then large rooms where they worshipped. And one of those rooms is this image. There's a, a reason... They went to all the work of depicting that image. And it's the truth that Jesus is the shepherd, that he cares for his people. Now, a few of us in the room this morning grew up in agrarian societies. My only personal interaction with a sheep was uh, as a teenager, I did one of those video scavenger hunts, which, by the way, those are really terrible ideas. But we lived in the middle of a city in Oklahoma. There wasn't many sheep around, but one strange guy holding out with his little farm in the middle of town. And the, the command on the card for the game was to kiss a sheep. And so a friend and I jumped over the sign, and he flew in the air and tackled the sheep, and I kissed the sheep. My only interaction with a sheep I still have the taste in my mouth all these years later. But most of us have never kissed a sheep, never watched a sheep, never been around a sheep other than on our clothing. And so the, the image might be hard for us to grasp. Shepherds in the ancient world lived in such a way that they were consumed by the care of the sheep. This wasn't an eight to five, clock in and out, 40 hours a week, five days a week job. 
you traveled with the sheep and took them to the next section of food or the sheep died. You stayed awake at night to protect the sheep or the sheep died. You went and sought after the one who wandered away because that one couldn't find himself or herself back. You went and got that sheep or that sheep died. You, in many ways, lived like one of the sheep, always with the sheep, protecting the sheep, watching out for the sheep, protecting, feeding, watering, finding shelter, tending to injuries. There was no survival for the sheep without a shepherd. And so, if you don't hear anything else this morning, I hope what you'll hear is that John, the author of this biography of Jesus' life, wants us to know that to believe in Jesus is to believe in a really wonderful, life-giving, protecting shepherd. One who will care for your every genuine need. One who will watch over you in ways you don't even know you need to be watched over for. But if that's all that we see in this passage, if we only talk about a tender shepherd caring for his sheep, then really what we've done is take some scissors and cut this passage out of the Gospel of John. We've divorced it from its context. We've removed it from the historical setting in which Jesus spoke it. And to do that is to suck the very life, the very power out of the passage. And so maybe for the first time, if you've heard this story, what we need to do is set it back in its setting. Put it back where it belongs. You see, really what's being said is that Jesus is the true shepherd in contrast to the false shepherds that are so common in this world. Jesus is the true shepherd in contrast to the pseudo-shepherds who will tell you that they're guiding you towards God, but in the end are only doing you harm. This passage uses the images of a thief and a robber and a stranger. These are spiritual leaders of neglect, These are spiritual leaders who are predators, pretending to do good, but in fact telling lies. Religious leaders as a general rule in the first century of Israel were wolves, not shepherds. And the Pharisees in particular are the ones being addressed in this passage. These were the conservative, what we would call Bible-believing, right-wing politician, spiritual leaders of the day. And yet, certainly not every single one of them, but on a whole, these are people who had lost what it meant to be a follower of God, becoming much more infatuated with following their own rules and appearing to be spiritual and a cut above everybody else. Last week, Pastor Tad walked us through the story of Jesus healing a man who had been born blind. If you weren't here with us, I'd encourage you to read the previous chapter sometime this afternoon after you eat a big holiday Christmas meal and you need a good reading before you take a nap. Open up John 9. It'll just take you a few minutes. 
And what you'll find is the story of a man who Jesus came across. And Jesus miraculously brought healing to his eyes. And that angered the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Because Jesus did it on a day you're not supposed to do anything, they believed. And what ensued was an, a lengthy debate between this man's parents and then this man who had been healed himself. And the result of that was that these Pharisees, these religious leaders, threw him out of the synagogue. They said, you're not worthy to be a God follower. You can't come to church anymore, we would say. You're not welcome here. And then Jesus' reaction to that was to tell this story. Look at the end of John 9 with me, if you would. Verse 35. This will help us get the context of chapter 10. When Jesus heard that they cast him out, that's the, the man who had been blind. When Jesus heard that they cast him out, they, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? It's one of the titles for Jesus. He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. So the Pharisees near him heard these things, and he said to them, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, we see your guilt remains. That story is the backdrop to the story we look at today. And so no true, proper understanding of John 10 with this cuddly picture of a sheep and a good shepherd actually gets the picture right unless we also see that this good shepherd is also the judge who will not tolerate pseudo-lying, false shepherds. See, Jesus is the true, legitimate, model, self-sacrificing shepherd. And only he is the one who has cared for God's people rightly. No one else has done that well. Now with that in mind, let's think about briefly those two images that this passage gives us. In stark contrast to the pseudo-shepherds, Jesus is both the good shepherd and the door. The good shepherd, in what way? Well, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd does whatever is needed for the good of the sheep. If you've never heard the gospel before, the, the central message of every true church of Jesus Christ, it's this. It's that God created people in His image to love Him and worship Him and fill the earth as His image bearers. And yet we rebelled against Him, choosing instead to go our own way. Each of us, in our own way, have done that. We've rejected God and chosen instead to live as little kings instead of being part of the kingdom of God. That simply is what the Scriptures call sin. 
Sin is God says do this and we instead do this. God says don't do this and we instead do it. And yet sin is deeper than that. Sin is down into our very nature. It's an innate bent away from the things of God. And yet God in His kindness sent Jesus. Jesus in the first century left heaven, came to earth, didn't give up His deity, but added a body, became flesh, as we'll sing about tonight. He grew up to be a man who lived the life that all of us were called to live. And then he died the death that we deserve to die. That death served as a sacrificial offering before the Father. How do we know that God accepted it? We know because he rose from the dead, demonstrating victory over sin and death and the devil. Friend, if the resurrection didn't happen, it would have made no difference what baby had been born. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be remembering this event. And so the gospel is the message that if you believe those truths and turn from a life without God, trusting in Jesus, then the good shepherd becomes your good shepherd. And your turning demonstrates that he has called you by name. Whatever else the church teaches is secondary to that. This is the truth. This is the great central message of Christianity. That God is the good shepherd through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now what about this image of the door? If you look in verse 7, it says that Jesus is the door of the sheep. This refers to Jesus being the gate. The gate in the ancient world would both protect the sheep from wandering away on their own and protect the sheep from predators, from wolves. Jesus is emphasizing here that he is the only means into a protective, life-giving relationship among the flock of God. It's only through the conscious belief and trust in Jesus that you can enter the, the world of eternal life. This is put even more plainly in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4 says, There is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Friend, we would expect this kind of day to come and just hear something light and fluffy and easy. And yet God in His providence brought us here together today with you here to John 10. And part of what John 10 is saying is that anyone trying to be or pretending to be part of God's people apart from Jesus is a lying pretender out to do you harm, unable to help, only to hurt. You see, these false shepherds, as we hear about them in this passage, they don't give life, they take it. They lie, they steal, they harm. And when there is even a hint of personal cost, they flee. Unfortunately, you probably know someone like that. 
someone either you've read or heard or been in relationship with that said, this is how things work spiritually. Follow this. But yet their motive was not right because their truth was not truth. Friends, not everyone who would claim to be devoted to your spiritual good is actually working for your benefit. Now, there are no Pharisees in Tempe, but there are certainly false teachers. There are certainly wolves, and some of them are dressed in sheep's clothing. Now, what in the world am I talking about? This is not normal language. Well, I made a list of five ways I see this happening. Five kinds of false teaching. There are certainly more. Let me just briefly describe what those look like. Number one, and certainly what would be most similar to what we find in John 10, is a gospel of works. This would be any message that would say to you, if you will do this and this and this, or if you will stop this and this and this, then the gates of heaven will be open and God will smile upon you. If you'll just stop that particular sexual behavior, if you'll quit hoarding your money and give it, if you'll not sleep in on Sunday mornings but come to church more than once a year, if you'll be nicer to people than the average person, you won't cheat on your taxes. The list can go on and on and on, but the essence of a works gospel says, you're not all that bad. You just need to clean up the outside a little bit, and then God will be impressed. Friends, that's not true. The problem of sin is much deeper than the veneer of our skin. It is, in fact, a wickedness of heart. It's an it's a inside death. It takes another giving life in order to become right with God. There are many churches, many religions, many books that would tell you, you're not really all that bad. Just change your behavior and that's enough. That is a false gospel. Number two is very different. It's what has been known as the prosperity gospel. It sounds something like this. If God loves you, then you will be healthy, wealthy, and life will be easy. And so if you're poor, then it must be because you're sinning. If you're sick, it must be because you're sinning. If you're disabled, it must be because you're sinning. If you've lost your job, or your spouse left you, or your child died, or your adult child no longer walks with God, then you must be sinning. Now what's fascinating about that is not only will you not find that in the Bible, you'll find the exact opposite in the Bible. Jesus himself said, in the world you will have trouble. And how can we claim to be following Christianity when The founder, Jesus, got himself killed. That doesn't make a lot of sense. 
Friends, the prosperity gospel is no gospel at all. You would be wise to not watch most of what's on TV claiming to be teaching the gospel. It is full of greed and manipulation. It is designed to get your money so that false teachers can have an easy life. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number three is what we might call easy believism or more commonly known in Phoenix, free grace. This would teach that all you have to do is pray a magic prayer, and that is enough. If you at 5, 6, 8, 10, 50, one time say, Jesus, I confess I've sinned. Would you come into my heart? I want to go to heaven when I die. I don't want to go to hell. Thank you, and that's it. And nothing in life changes. There is no evidence of a changed heart in the fruit of a changing life. Then, friend, there wasn't belief. If the power of God through the Spirit of God takes up residence in the person of God, then God is going to hound you. You are not going to be able to happily do what you used to do. The Lord will pursue you. And ever so tenderly and tenaciously, He will change you from the inside out. Magic prayers apart from a changed life will not save. Two more. It's getting hotter and hotter in here. Number four, pragmatism. This sounds something like this. Who cares what the Bible says? Let's do whatever we can do to serve and love people better. Now certainly they might not put it that way, but it sounds... Like, it doesn't matter what God says about this or this or this or this. We just got to reach people. And so, preaching doesn't matter. Or what God says about gender doesn't matter. Or submitting yourself to the Bible, believing everything it says is what God in fact says, doesn't matter. Because we can stand as the arbiters of truth and pick and choose what we like and don't like. We, in fact, are the ones who decide. Friend, that you've got to bend your knee by grace to God. All of God. And finally, perhaps the one that we would most fall prey to is individualism. Something like, I don't need the church. I don't need a relationship with any people that follow God. Me and Jesus is enough. All the Christians are hypocrites anyway. It's just me and God. 
I do church with my Bible. I sit and have my cup of coffee, and that's it. Friend, if you believe that, then you're not actually reading that Bible very well. Because that Bible says that God's people love God's people. It's in the book of 1 John. Now, it's easy to say, well, we are loving. But God doesn't let you off that easy. You see, God says in his wisdom, in his providence, yes, love all people, but work that out by loving these people in particular. In other words, it's easy to say we love people, but do you love the ones in the church that are hard to love? Which is all of us. God, in his kindness, puts God's people into little families called local churches where in relationship with other people, as we love and serve and great and annoy each other, then the process of spiritual growth works itself out. You see, our Savior lives in us, and just like He lived, as He walked the earth sacrificially, joyfully, serving and laying down His life for others, He's going to do the same thing in His people over and over and over again. Not in an abstract, whoever-you-want kind of way, but among a covenanted people, the people of God. And so a gospel of individualism isn't really a gospel at all. Instead, we should look not to people who teach those kinds of things, but we should look to under-shepherds who are faithful to the chief shepherd. That's what Peter wrote in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that's to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Church, the four men that God has called to be our shepherds, our under-shepherds, Pastor Tad, Pastor Randy, Pastor Todd, myself, your charge is don't listen to us if we don't teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your charge is is don't follow us if we abdicate the example of Jesus Christ Himself. Your charge is allow us the deep joy of sacrificially serving you in such a way that in some tiny little glimpse, you can remember your good shepherd, your chief shepherd, your perfect shepherd, Jesus Christ himself. This is what shepherding is for. And so John 10 hangs on this contrast between God shepherding in Jesus and serving as the door, protecting and opening 
eternity to all of God's people. And something very different. Something that might look good, might sound good, but will in fact do you tremendous harm in this life and forever in the next. The contrast between the good shepherd and the false shepherd. I think all of that begs us to ask a simple question. The question is, what is God doing in the world today? If what I've said this morning is true, and you should test it by John 10, if what I've said is true, that there is this contrast, there truly is a good shepherd, he does exist, he is alive, he is inviting you to him, he is calling you by name as the people of God. And there are false, lying, harmful, dangerous, greedy, pseudo-shepherds. Then that begs us to ask, what, well, what is God doing in the world today? Essentially what God is doing is three things. We see them laid out here in John 10, but fleshed out more fully throughout the rest of the New Testament. The first one we don't talk about very much in many circles. But friend, it is a great comfort to the people of God. It is the truth that God is bringing judgment on false shepherds. God would not be very caring, very loving, very nurturing, very protecting if He abdicated the responsibility to judge those who harm the people of God. There is nothing more grave than lying to people about God. Those pretending to love God but really harming God's people for self-gain will have a holy God to deal with. If you've been manipulated and lied to spiritually, then you ought to pray that God would intervene that God would rescue false teachers. Because apart from the intervention of the Lord in a dramatic way, friends, false teachers will be judged forever. Second, much more easy to hear, is that God is gathering more and more named sheep into his flock. We've had the privilege this year of seeing many people become a part of Church on Mill. We've seen the waters behind me in the baptistry stirred often, sometimes cold, but always wonderful. Tonight, again, you'll see that as Boon Lee Tan stands in the waters, testifies to how God saved him. And then we get to picture the death of Christ in the life Christ. I hope you'll come back to see that wonderful moment. But God is doing this. God is gathering people all over the world, naming them individually by name, that they might come to know Him and enjoy Him and serve Him and obey Him, because He's a good shepherd. And this passage in John 10 isn't the first time this was talked about. Jesus is saying in John 10 that I'm the one many times referenced 
earlier in the Bible. Let me show you one example. On the screen, you'll find Ezekiel 34, where God promises, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will feed them. He will feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Jesus, when he said, I am the good shepherd, there's only one flock. He's saying, I'm the one Ezekiel was talking about. Hundreds of years prophesied before. Now, how is it that God's gathering more and more and more sheep? Well, in general, this happens as individual Christians faithfully share the gospel. At the gym, in the neighborhood, at work, at school, in the apartment complex. As we have opportunities, we tell the people the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done. But in particular, the norm is that God reaches people through churches. The preaching of God's word and the display of the gospel among the relationships of the people of God. This spreads the gospel throughout the world. This is happening all over the place. Just a few days ago, I got a letter from a friend who is serving as a pastor of a church in Iraq. Iraq is one of those places where we only ever hear about Iraq when a group of people have been blown up again. And yet, in the middle of all that chaos, there's a sweet gospel church forming and growing. As this brother has left the safety of the states and gone to a place of immense danger, and in the midst of immense danger, the gospel is flourishing. Perhaps being experienced in ways that you and I find it difficult to experience because they hang on the every word of God while we trust in our money. Friend, the gospel is spreading. More and more people are coming to know the Good Shepherd. This is good news. This is what God's doing. Now finally, God is loving and leading His sheep to experience more and more of the abundant life offered in Christ. The way that's described in John 10, look at verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Friend, the design of God is not. Pray a prayer and then a real life of joy will begin after you die and go to heaven. Friend, you've Christian. You've already been given all that you need for life and godliness. God has opened the tap of grace and it is pouring out every single day. He is offering more and more and more and more blessings to you. 
not perhaps in the kind of life you would have chosen for yourself, but in the life you truly need. Some of these graces come in things that are hard. Not all medicine tastes good. And yet the love of God is extended to you in open arms all the time that you would enjoy Him, trust in Him more, enter more fully into peace and kindness and truth. This is what God's doing. How do you know? One simple way is you're sitting here today. Of all the places you could be, you're here, hearing the truth. This is God's kindness. This, again, is one of those passages where Jesus spoke something that had already been said. And I'll end with this. Numbers 27, Moses This is the fourth book in the Bible. So we've just gone back somewhere around a thousand years before Jesus spoke. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep who have no shepherd. Christians, you are not as sheep with no shepherd. You have the best shepherd. You have Jesus. Let's pray.